Covering and gathering news the other day, I saw a Washington Post piece titled, The Anti-Roe v. Wade Movement is Increasingly Disconnected from Facts. Wait, what? That's rich, and that needs some scrutiny. I'm Sheila Logminas, and you're in the Forum. When one of the big elite media outlets reports a prominent news story about abortion, pay attention to the language they use and the documentation of any claims they make. Fortunately, someone who does that keenly and professionally is here now. Michael New is a visiting assistant professor of social research and political science at the Catholic University of America and an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Washington, D.C. Michael, always good to talk with you. You are on top of all these things that come out, the facts, the data, the surveys, the polls, what they're revealing about how Americans feel about abortion or taxpayer funding of abortion and all of that. But you're also on top of news reporting about abortion, which, Michael, to my mind, and I've done this very long time as well, seems rather seldom that we hear anything in the uh, big, I call it elite media, uh, as we do, we're going to talk about an article in the Washington Post, but they don't report on this very much, uh, very often, do they? No, they don't. It's just really frustrating getting a pro-life perspective or pro-life commentary into the mainstream media is very difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I think is very telling is that, you know, once in a while we get new data on abortion rates. And we've seen, as I've often said, a 53% decline in the U.S. abortion rate since 1980. So they do these stories, and they do correctly report that the abortion rate goes down, but they never talk to anybody who's pro-life. Or if they do, it's just a very tokenized, you know, drive-by comment. Uh, it's just very frustrating that you'd think that, you know, abortion numbers going down, pro-life should have some insight to share. Uh, but time and time again, they just choose to ignore us. They do, and, and when they don't, I, to my point about um, notice the language. I don't know how many years ago it was, but I know being in in journalism for so long, Michael, I know that it was years ago now that the the different media style books, and for those out there who don't know what that means, I mean, I've been in, look, Time Magazine, 20 years, a reporter there, uh, and other outlets, and whatever your outlet is has a style book. Uh, Fortunately, in our pro-life media, we do as well, and and we call pro-life people pro-life, whereas in in secular big elite media that people call mainstream i don't michael use that term because i don't think they are the mainstream they want to be but america it doesn't reflect america at large but but what when they change their style book it just it just took my breath away and i mean i wasn't surprised on the one hand on the other hand yeah because now they've changed the style books back in the day to no longer allow the reporting that gets published and seen by the public to call us pro-life. Mm-hmm. So it's all anti-abortion. Yep. So we're talking about an article. It's just stunning that, that it's a Washington Post and granted an opinion piece, but it's prominent in the Washington Post the other day. The anti-Roe v. Wade movement is increasingly disconnected from facts. That headline alone is a jaw dropper, but that also points back to what I just said, the language for us in in secular elite media is always anti-abortion always and then they don't call themselves anti-life they uh they refer to themselves as women's right to choose or the the pro-choice movement or reproductive rights and all those euphemisms 
that's another conversation for another time about why this continues and how they get away with it. But this piece in particular, Michael, you picked up on because we both found it to be a jaw dropper. Tell me what you said before we started um, talking uh, on the air about how you, when you read that headline and how it struck you. I mean, I just thought the headline, even before I read the piece, I knew it was going to be a train wreck. And the headline was absurd. And I hate to say it, it was the most absurd thing I've ever seen published in the Washington Post. And that's saying something uh, that often I disagree with what the editorialists have to say. Uh, but this thing was just completely disconnected from facts. Uh, the reasoning was poor. Uh, the facts are incorrect. It was just outrageous and absurd. Well, so to so talk about the premise here that that the they, they what they call the and the guy who wrote it David Von Drail I think is how you would pronounce mm. it the anti Roe v Wade movement meaning the pro life movement that he says is increasingly disconnected from the facts what facts is he referring to I I find the whole argumentation puzzling what he basically talks about in this piece is the fact that the abortion rate has fallen. And he is correct about that. As I've said before, the abortion rate has fallen by more than 50, 50, 53% since 1980. But his reasoning was just absurd. He literally argues in this Washington Post piece that the reason why we've seen a long-term decline in the abortion rate is because back in 1973, Roe v. Wade made abortion legal. And you heard me right. He is literally arguing that abortion rates have fallen because back in 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision legalized abortion. Uh, it is the most ridiculous and absurd argument that I've ever read. And just breaking the argument down kind of component by component, he does admit that the abortion rate went up in the 1970s. After Roe v. Wade, the abortion rate went up. He claims it's because that women came out of the shadows. Uh, that's really not true. I mean, before Roe v. Wade, women could still obtain abortions in places like New York and California, but you really saw the abortion rate go up. I think between 1974 and 1980, it went up by about 50%. That when you make abortion legal, and it's legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy, and legal in all 50 states, and it can be advertised, and it has more quote-unquote legitimacy, it should come as no surprise that abortion rates go up. Uh, it had nothing to do with women quote-unquote coming out of the shadows. Then he does acknowledge uh, that the abortion rate starts to fall after 1980, but he's quick to credit contraception use. And this is a, a common fallacy. Uh, it is true that contraception use has gone up, but what's important to look at is the unintended pregnancy rate. And if contraception is so effective, you'd see this consistent decline in the unintended pregnancy rate since 1980. But that has not happened. Uh, since 1980, the unintended pregnancy rate has fluctuated. So you just don't really see this consistent decline in the unintended pregnancy rate. In fact, you actually see the unintended pregnancy rate actually increase between 2001 and 2008, a time period where abortion rates are falling. So that's something that he gets wrong. He also said that you know the falling abortion rate numbers uh, have nothing to do with the fact, or are not because uh, more unintended pregnancies are being carried to term. But he's wrong. Uh, we have data from Guttmacher, which actually show very clearly that a higher percentage of unintended pregnancies are being carried to term. Uh, Guttmacher, again, which was Planned Parenthood's research arm up to 2007, no friend of pro-lifers, they find 1981, 54% uh, of unintended pregnancies were aborted. That number fell to 42% by 2011. Uh, that's the most recent year uh, for which we have data. So I mentioned the statistic about a higher percentage of unintended pregnancies being carried to term to every pro-life audience that will listen. Uh, if more women are choosing life for their unborn children, then all flows back to the activities of pro-lifers. We're either changing hearts and minds, or providing more and better assistance to women through pregnancy help centers, or passing more and better protective pro-life laws. So Von Driel just makes an argument that's just, you know, he makes factual inaccuracies. It's illogical. 
I mean, the reason why abortion numbers are falling is because more and more women are choosing life. That has a lot to do with it. It's not because of contraception. It's not because we legalized abortion some 48 years ago. It's because of the good efforts of pro-lifers. So very frustrating to read things like that. I'm grateful that National Review Online uh, did circulate my uh, blog post about that. Um, yeah, I've been trying to get the word out the best I can, uh, but it's just frustrating having to deal with just misinformation. It's total mis mis misinformation. I mean, the misinformation that just fills David Von Drail's opinion column in the Washington Post the other day. Again, the headline is just stunning. The anti-Roe v. Wade movement is increasingly dis disconnected from facts. It's really the opposite. It's the pro-abortion movement that is totally dis disconnected from facts. And I'll get to that in a few minutes because Politico has a different article I want to mention while I still have you on in a little bit. And, uh, and it literally refers back to that line, Michael, follow the science. Well, you know, they're not. But, um, but, but this article we're, we're on right now in Washington Post about the anti-Roe v. Wade, meaning the pro-life movement, uh, is increasingly disconnected from facts. We're the ones with the facts, and we're, we're staying on the facts. So he goes on to say, and you cover this, that the steep drop in abortions has been a, na a nationwide phenomenon. True that, right? But then he says, occurring in states where access is comparatively easy and in states where clinics face hostile regulations. So it, he doesn't realize he's making our point for us that the pro-life movement is providing so many pregnancy help centers with so many services across the country that women are finding the ability, if they are in a crisis, to have that crisis served, needed, erased, you know, uh, that they are cared for, their babies cared for, and therefore, as he even notes, that, that there are more pregnancies being cared, carried to term. So he's got the right facts in there, and then he muddles them all up and twists them around and re-engineers them. Right. I mean, we actually have seen a very big increase in pregnancy help centers. Uh, the good folks at Heartbeat International every year do a publish a book called the Worldwide Directory of Pregnancy Help. And they list uh, state by state, a variety of organizations uh, that assist pregnant women. And in the United States alone, uh, since like the late 80s, since 1988, the number of organizations offering pregnancy help has gone up by like over 80%. So there's a lot more resources available to women today you know, than there were, say, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And I think it's also important to note uh, that, you know, in addition to all this pregnancy help we're offering, that, you know, some of these pregnancy help centers are eligible for government grants, you know, that uh, you have some states like Minnesota are providing assistance to pregnancy help centers. Uh, some states are offering like tax credits where if you donate to a pregnancy center, you get to pay a little bit less in taxes. Uh, you know, I think it's good that if, uh, you know, that instead of, uh, you know, funding things like Planned Parenthood that destroy life, uh, that we're starting to kind of support those organizations that, you know, uphold human life. Uh, so I think that, you know, pregnancy help is available. Uh, I think that is playing a big role in why abortion numbers are going down. And I even circle back to his original point that uh, numbers are falling everywhere. Yeah, it is true. But if you look at the data, you do see lower abortion rates in quote unquote red states than you do in blue states. You know, places like Alabama, Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, places with, you know, pro-life laws in place, Missouri, I'd throw that out as an example, tend to have much lower abortion rates in places like California and New York. So numbers have gone down everywhere, but you really see in the red states, abortion rates are low. And it is partly because of the pro-life policies in those states. 
the, the pro-life policies are saving a lot of lives and, and actually women's health. It's the pro-life movement that cares about both the baby and then the woman's health and caring for the woman and, and all the health needs she has. That's why if we get to that day, and I'm surprised we're not, we haven't been there for years, where Congress finally defunds Planned Parenthood, that money is, is going to be redirected to comprehensive health care centers where women and their families will be cared for very well versus an abortion clinic, which is not health care and not health care for women. And certainly the, it ends the, the life of the, the, the baby in the womb. It, the, the opening of this column, I, right out of the gate, this opinion columnist of Washington Post on, on the, the delusional anti-Roe v. Wade movement being uh, we pro-lifers is increasingly d- disconnected from facts. He says right out of the gate, Earlier this month, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and he notes Republican, signed a new bill into law. And that new law imposes a near total ban on abortion in Arkansas, no exceptions uh, for rape, rape and incest. Well, Michael, that's another conversation that we could have and need to have. People need to know, oh, that's so heartless. Well, you know, how many women, they're now in a movement of their own who, who say violence should never beget violence. And so when there is an innocent child in the womb from that, there are so many women out there speaking out now about the beauty that child has brought into their life and so on. But anyway, he goes on to say, it obviously, that law violates nearly half a century of Supreme Court precedent, but challenging the precedents is exactly the point. I circled that, Michael, because it gets me every time when I see them referring to Roe v. Wade as precedent. You have, to, you have to follow the precedent, and Roe is precedent. Well, you know what? He inadvertently re- stated in the next paragraph why I was going to bring up Roe v. Wade's set precedent. It didn't follow precedent. He said, Arkansas joins a growing list of states flouting the court over abortion in hopes of getting the rulings overturned. And then he says, Michael, that that they have a theory that three conservative justices appointed in recent years are secretly ready to overturn not just Roe v. Wade, the 1973 ruling that established, and I circled the word established. When you establish something, that doesn't mean you're following precedent, that means you're setting precedent. So that is something, we have to address these lies. They're untruths, to put it mildly, but they're lies it's not precedent. It was set as precedent in 73. And now all of a sudden, stare decisis, we have to follow precedent. He admitted that. No, it's, it's ridiculous. And the Supreme Court reverses itself all the time. I mean, you know, it right. tends to often, you know, I mean, it does tend to respect precedent, but precedent isn't binding and precedents change and we get, you know, new information about things when there's, you know, better research. Uh, I think we've learned quite a lot about the development of unborn children since 1973. You know, ultrasound technology has certainly developed, uh, you know, in, in positive ways. So, I mean, the notion that we're bound by a decision, you know, that took place, you know, 48 years ago, I think is just absurd. I mean, people have challenged precedents all the time, and I'm glad they did. I mean, segregation was a precedent. Plessy versus Ferguson was a precedent. Mm-hmm. Civil rights lawyers worked hard to overturn that precedent, and we're all glad they did. You know, they were successful. This Roe v. Wade decision, sure, it's a precedent, but that doesn't bind us forever. You know, we've learned more about the development of unborn children. We've learned more about the negative health impacts of abortion. We've learned more about women who've suffered abortion regret. And this precedent can be, and frankly, should be overturned. In fact, it's, uh, it's getting closer all the time. There are cases making their way through the different, different levels of the courts in America to the Supreme Court. And uh, they just have to get their arms, wrap their arms around the right case. I think that's what the justices have been waiting for. Not just any case involving abortion, but the right one that they want to address. Michael, in this same, before we let this 
says, Washington Post piece go, and I'd love to let it go. Uh, this opinion writer in Washington Post calling us, we pro-lifers, out of touch with reality, he, he says that uh, the result of reproductive freedom, there's that euphemism again. We could have that conversation another time about these, these ter the terminology, but he said the result of reproductive freedom, I want you to address this, is fewer abortions, not more. Well, yeah, because of but we pro-lifers. But then he says this, he says, no wonder the American public, by a strong majority, supports the existing existing constitutional framework around abortion. You, Michael New, can address that very well because you know you take the pulse of the American people every time you see a new poll and you report on it. So when he refers to supporting the existing constitutional framework around abortion by most Americans, a majority of Americans, he says, a strong majority, he calls it. Talk about what you know a strong majority of Americans to feel and believe. Uh. Well, I think that polling on Roe v. Wade uh, is very misleading, and it's misleading for a couple of reasons. First off, a lot of these polls don't really explain what Roe v. Wade did. I mean, Roe v. Wade effectively legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states throughout all nine months of pregnancy. That is not a position that many Americans share. I'd say it's a position very few Americans share. Most people don't want taxpayer dollars paying for abortion. They don't support third trimester abortions. They don't support second trimester abortions. So the policies that, you know, Roe v. Wade is, you know, that came from Roe v. Wade are not supported publicly. Uh, secondly, uh, these polls are not really clear about what would happen if Roe v. Wade were reversed. If Roe v. Wade were reversed, abortion would not be banned. It would just go back to the state level where local mm -hmm. elected officials in the state legislature would make decisions about abortion policy. And we do a polling suggesting that people would like to see abortion policy decided by their own state legislatures instead of an unelected Supreme Court. So the polling on Roe v. Wade that you hear you know, a lot of uh, media sources cite is very misleading. It doesn't really provide any real information about what people really actually do think about abortion. And you, and you know that. And every time a poll is taken, the numbers are going up, right? More Americans, uh, even if they identify as pro-choice themselves, don't want their taxpayer dollars to fund it. Absolutely not. We have many polls. Uh, you know, the Knights of Columbus always uh, commissioned a poll around the March for Life. It always shows that uh, majority of Americans don't want their taxpayer dollars supporting abortion. I think there have been like six or seven polls in the last few years, different uh, survey research firms, somewhat different wording as to the question. I think all of them showed a, a plurality opposed taxpayer funding of abortion. And I think all but one showed a majority opposed taxpayer funding of abortion. So again, the notion that you know people think abortion should be legal for all nine months of pregnancy and that elective abortion should be funded by taxpayer dollars is just flat out wrong. Well, then, then um, these states that are, that are going there, uh, of course, which are ridiculed by like articles like this one in the Washington Post, are really reflective of the states that are defunding uh, abortion and also making it much stricter, like the lead of this Washington Post article, Arkansas uh, Governor Asa, Hutchin or Asa Hutchinson, with a law there imposing a near total ban on abortion. I mean, that's just reflecting the realities they're seeing, the provable realities. It's not based on gut you know, feelings. It's based on the, fact base, uh, the, the facts that the, that the base of pro-lifers are presenting to them. So those really do reflect what the people want in America. You end your column by saying, you know, pro-lifers are accustomed to commentators claiming that pro-life laws are an ineffective strategy for lowering abortion rates. But it's, it's poorly argued. And this one piece here we're talking about in Washington Post riddled with inaccuracies claiming that legalized abortion contributed to the decline in abor abortion rates, oh my gosh, proves the media can always sink to another new depth. But you said, however, pro-lifers shouldn't be discouraged. 
a substantial body of academic research, as we say, suggests that the incidence of abortion sensitive is sensitive to its legal status and that incremental pro-life laws are helping to reduce the abortion rates. Hence, these, these handful of states where that's happening. More states are, doing, are going that way, right? If you have to do it by advancing a pain-capable unborn you know, child protection act, the pro-life movement is finding very creative ways to do it because for crying out loud from the moment of conception, that's a human life. But at least pain-capable, Americans feel that viscerally, don't they? That they just don't want a child who can feel that abortion to be, to be aborted. Right. I think that pain capable strategy makes sense for a couple different reasons. You know, I think it's always good to kind of highlight uh, late term abortions because we're on very strong ground politically there. I mean, the polling is very clear. Most Americans do not think that late term abortions should be legal. And I'm not uh, a lawyer. I'm not uh, as such. But there are some lawyers who think the pain capable strategy is a good one. They think that if we can present good evidence that unborn children can, in fact, feel pain that may create kind of a compelling state interest to protect the unborn. And that might be an argument that might persuade some Supreme Court justices to uphold these laws. So again, I think that um, I'm a big fan of letting a thousand flowers bloom. Uh, There's all kinds of good legislative strategies out there. I'm Mm -hmm. very happy to see that a lot of states in the Midwest and the South are taking action to protect the pre-born and passing really solid comprehensive laws. They're not trying to tinker at the margins. They're trying to make the case that unborn children do deserve legal protection. Uh, Again, we'll see what happens uh, in court, but I am glad that, you know, the governor of Arkansas and that uh, the governors of the other states and the state legislature are really trying to go ahead and take the lead and protect unborn children in their states. And, and one more thing. I have for uh, the past at least like two, maybe two years, certainly a year, but I think two years, I uh, covered on my shows the really important topic of the abortion pills, and especially during the coronavirus uh, lockdowns. Early on in that, Michael, we saw the, the online access to abortion pills not only go up, but Planned Parenthood promoting them all over the place, and especially where they can catch the attention of young women and girls. And so that what they call at-home abortions is really abortion pills. This is so dark and evil when, when they can get that online and we in the pro-life movement are really through the people who know abby johnson herself in the movie unplanned she, there are scenes that show her going through one and abortion through the abortion pills and how horrible that is the woman feels like she's dying from uh from hemorrhaging and bleeding so much and it's just it's just too horrific to talk about right now but i've covered it before so the reason i bring it up now before letting you go politico has an art a new article out the headline of which is, will at-home abortions make Roe v. Wade obsolete? And I thought, that gives me a chill because, you know, you, you, you want it not to be so, well, they, they, they advertise it as private, personal, in your home, nobody need know. Well, that's just dark and evil. But you scroll down enough paragraphs in this about the Biden administration and it's how it's deliberating over the federal rules on when and where and from whom patients can get these pills. A couple paragraphs down, Michael, it says this literally in Politico. Biden's pledge to, quote, follow the science when it, close quote, when it comes to public health is under scrutiny, as medical experts argue, citing new data gained during the pandemic, that administering the abortion drugs remotely is safe and effective. That is based on nothing because it is not safe and it is not effective. And if they're actually following the science, then they ought to follow the science all the way to the beginning of when life begins and what the abortion, what abortion really does and is and what abortion pills really do to women. Yeah. And, you know, if they want to follow the science, great, because science shows that 
abortion pills are dangerous. I mean, there was a very good study that came out that looked at comprehensive uh, Medicaid data from California, and they found that chemical abortions had like four times the complication rate as surgical abortions. So there is good data. Again, this is comprehensive. This wasn't anecdotal uh, that clearly showed that, you know, these abortion pills are, are risky. Uh, additionally, um, you know, having women take them without medical supervision is frankly a recipe for disaster. Uh, if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy and that's not diagnosed, uh, taking an abortion pill could be very damaging to her health. It could be fatal. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if we're really going to follow the science on this, we need to be aware that these abortion pills are dangerous. Uh, they were not approved by Congress. It was a kind of administrative decision by the FDA toward the end of the Clinton administration. A lot of people thought that it was done for kind of political reasons, uh, that their approval was was rushed. But again, I think that an honest look at the data and evidence shows that these abortion pills are risky and letting women take them unsupervised only raises those risks. It does indeed. We have to keep talking about that in all the ways we do. I know you're always out there on National Review and, and in other places um, raising attention, spreading awareness of these things. You were right on top of that Washington Post article uh, calling the pro-life movement detached from facts and detached from reason. And that's exactly what they are in the pro-abortion movement, which they won't call themselves that. They call it pro-choice. But we're, we, as long as we keep telling people these things and bringing the truth out, people will be more um, educated in America. Hopefully, Michael, one of these days, the House and the Senate will just totally defund Planned Parenthood and see their way to that. I'm not sure why it hasn't happened yet. But thank you for the things you put out there to educate America and always being available to talk about it. I really appreciate that. I'm glad to do it. Happy to be of service. If any of your listeners want to follow me, I'm a, on Twitter. My uh, handle is at Michael underscore J underscore new. That's at Michael underscore J underscore new. And I tweet out commentary analysis of pro-life issues several times a week. So uh, again, glad to be on the show, and thanks for having me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've I've put the I'm putting the link to your National Review article we're talking about. I'll put that in there as well. Your Twitter Twitter handle and uh, other links I have for this and for you on a blog post that's going to accompany this this podcast as soon as I can after putting this up online. But uh, we we got that we're going to get this podcast out there. And therefore, Michael, the beauty of this is people can spread it on to other people and other people, and then you know exponentially like the ripple effect, more people will be aware. We're growing that population of aware citizens. That's an important thing to do. We got to just keep people informed. You know, the truth will win out eventually. There you are. I too believe the truth will win out as it is more and more with information like this accessible and adding to the abundance of facts and truth about abortion in America and the spread and success of the pro-life movement. Tell others and share the link to this podcast, inviting them to join us next time here in the forum.